At this time, if there are any kids that want to go out to Children's Church, you see Miss Amy to my left and your right, and I know she would love to have the kids. I will say that's a song that when I was a youth pastor, I guess that was a song that was just coming out, and uh, man, I loved singing that song with my youth ministry. So it is a blessing to be able to worship with you this morning. Obviously, today is a big day as it is Father's Day. Many, many years ago when I first accepted a call to ministry, I shared with my friends that I had grown up with, some high school buddies that I was uh, going to go into ministry, and one of them actually came from a Catholic background. So for him, he kind of struggled with uh, the entire role of being a pastor. And I think for the next three or four years, he referred to me as Father Mike. So Father's Day is very important to me, not just for that, I'm just kidding with you. This is a great day for me to say thank you to each of you who have chosen to fulfill the father role in the lives of others around you. I spoke with another pastor who is tag team preaching this morning with his fellow staff. And what they're doing is each staff member is sharing their experiences with their father. And the purpose of that is connected to the fact that everyone's experience with a father is going to be different. Some who are listening today in the service or online, you have had or you continue to have one of the greatest dads in the world. These are men who were faithful and loving. They loved both their wife and their kids well. They taught good work ethic and discipline. They were men of God who made a relationship with Jesus Christ the priority in their lives. As a child, you dreamed of walking in their footsteps. And the truth is, some of us have done so, some have struggled at it. Yet others would reflect on Father's Day in a completely different light. Your dad was none of the things that I just described, or at best, only a few of those things. For some, your dad was absent, perhaps by his own choices, or maybe seemingly by things that were out of his control. He was less than loving and gentle, sometimes even violent. He was self-centered and immature, and perhaps he was physically present, but he was absent from your lives. What's really difficult is when you've had multiple individuals who would be described in this manner. I would regrettably have to say that I would fall into that category, not including the multiple individuals. My mom never remarried after her, her divorce with my dad. My dad was never abusive, mostly because I think that my mom would have probably taken him out. <laughs> but he was never there. And he certainly didn't teach me anything that would be worthy of imitation. I will add one extra category, though. For some, Father's Day is a day to celebrate those father figures who chose to be a part of your life. This could include those who were in adoptive families or foster care families. This could include a mom who remarried and her husband became the father figure for you. Or this could simply be the coaches and the teachers and pastors and other church leaders who became surrogate parents investing in you along the way. Y'all have heard me share this before, but I am also one who would fall into this category. There were so many men who stepped up in my life 
And I could never truly say thanks enough for the role that they played in my development. And while I am grateful for their influence, I still recognize that I am a work in progress, learning certain aspects of manhood as I go along. Sometimes I may not be the husband that I ought to be or the father that I ought to be, but I am not content and I am going to continue to push to be the man of God that he created me to be. Well, today I want to begin a new series that is based out of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And we're going to begin with an individual who would play the role of a surrogate father to Samuel. In fact, we're going to use multiple passages of scripture. Sometimes I'll focus on one passage and just deal with that from the entire sermon. But that being said, today we are going to look at the first four chapters in 1 Samuel, and then we're going to move ahead and look at chapter 13 as well. That being said, our primary text will come out of chapter 2 and 13. But before I read to you, let me share just a little backstory. To begin with, Samuel is conceived as an answer to prayer. His mother is a lady named Hannah, and she loved her husband, Elkanah, very much. And she wanted nothing more than to have children with him. But the Lord had not seen fit to bless them with children. Now, in today's culture, there are all kinds of people who would choose not to have children. And if you are unable to have children, there are plenty of options that are out there. You can adopt or you can provide foster care or you can have a medical procedure that might help you to conceive. But in their culture, there was only one option and that was to pray. So Hannah went to the temple to pray. And this is what she prayed in chapter one of 1 Samuel. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now I will come back to that prayer in just a few moments because what she prayed is very important and it is reflected in the rest of Samuel's life. But she prayed with such fervency that when the priest saw her, he immediately assumed that she was drunk. Have you ever prayed so passionately that other people thought, what is wrong with that person? That's what Hannah's doing here. She is praying because she wants nothing more than to have a child with her husband. And in haste, the priest would incorrectly call her out. Her response was, no, sir, I have not been drinking beer or wine. Do not mistake me for a wicked woman. And then she went on to tell of her prayer. His response is to simply encourage her. I imagine there might have been just a moment where he thought, oh, sorry, I thought you were, I thought you were drunk. But his response is simply to encourage her praying that the Lord would answer her prayers. And that is exactly what would take place. God would move in Hannah and Hannah would conceive a son and she would name him Samuel. But again, do you remember the prayer that she offered? She said, Lord Almighty, 
If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Imagine you have prayed that God would give you a son. Man, can you imagine all the dreams that you have for your son? You're going to watch him grow up. You're going to be involved with all the things that would take place in a child's life, in a young man's life. You will see him all along the way. But the vow that she just made makes that a little more difficult. In keeping with this vow, as a very young child, Samuel would be brought to the temple to be raised, not by Hannah and Elkanah, but to be raised as a priest, by the priest. And I know this sounds crazy in today's culture, but it's possible that once Samuel is dropped off at the temple, he might not see mom or dad until the next year when they return to the temple to pray. In fact, listen to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, as Elkanah and Hannah discuss the future of their newborn child says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. And listen to this, and he will live there always. In other words, he won't live in our house. He won't live here with us. We won't be the ones who are raising this child. He will live there always. What that means is that Eli, the high priest, the very same one who called out Hannah for being drunk, Eli would become somewhat of a father figure in the life of Samuel. The first point in today's sermon addresses what makes a father And I'm going to suggest that the first thing that makes a father is his presence. Elkanah and Hannah would be blessed with three more sons and a daughter to whom Elkanah would apparently be very present in their lives. But to Samuel, Elkanah would not be present. Eli would be. But 1 Samuel chapter 2 reveals that there is a problem with this setup, this relationship. The truth is that Eli's family had already become incredibly dysfunctional. He had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, who also had been trained to serve as priests, but they certainly weren't living up to the standard that God required of them. In fact, the NIV defines them as scoundrels, adding that they had no regard for the Lord in verse 12. They often manipulated the people who came to bring sacrifices. They made themselves fat on the offerings of God's people. What was intended for God, they took for themselves. What made matters worse was the fact that Eli knew about what they were doing, yet he allowed it to continue. Listen to 1 Samuel 2, verse 22 through 25. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. 
No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Now we're dealing here with the responsibilities of the father. This is an interesting concept that we see in play within this passage. Do you remember Eli's address to Hannah, this young woman who had come to pray and he assumed that she had been drinking? He called her out for what she had apparently done. He didn't have a problem addressing the sin of other people. Yet here, his own sons are stealing food intended for sacrifice. They are sexually assaulting women who have come to serve at the temple. And he basically gives them the free pass. Oh, he calls them out, but he's not willing to do anything to put a stop to it. You almost feel like he, he, he fussed at them and y'all really shouldn't be doing that. And then he knew from that moment that they were going to continue. In fact, the passage says they basically ignored what he had to say. What a horrible example of what a father is supposed to be. If anything, his expectations on his children should have been greater than what he expected of others. I've had the privilege of coaching sports here in the community, and typically it is with my own kids' teams. I will tell you, sometimes my kids don't like the fact that I am their coach. That is because I have higher expectations on my kids than I do other kids. They want to play certain positions, and if you're going to play those positions, I don't want anyone to be able to say afterwards it's just because his dad was the coach or just because her dad was the coach. I want it to be because they've given their best to the position. I have high expectations for all of them, but the reality is I do expect more from my kids than I do from other people. Apparently, Eli did not expect the same. Instead, he seeks to hold the sins of others accountable, yet allows the sins of his son to go unpunished. The point here is that we need to expect much of our children. Proverbs teaches us that we are to train up your children, your child, in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We need to expect that our children will walk in a way that does honor the Lord's name. And in doing so, they will honor the name of our family. Your first responsibility is to raise your children in the way of the Lord. You say, well, I don't have any kids. You still have a responsibility. There are those who are watching you, and they need to know what it is to be a man or a woman of God. I told you earlier that the male figures in my life were coaches, teachers, pastors, and other church leaders. Y'all have heard my story over and over again. I'm not going to hash through it all. But what I will tell you is that those individuals played a significant role in me being the man that I am today. I am grateful to be able to say that I learned how to pray from them. I learned how to show respect to others, other women, those who are in need by them. I learned how to serve those who had less than I 
because of what I saw in them. Although I also learned much from my mom, and for years she would tell everybody she had to be mother and father, so she got to celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. I am grateful for what I learned from her, but I learned how to, to love and to serve the Lord by a collective group that I saw living it out in front of me. Well, in Eli's case, God would not tolerate the wickedness of his sons. So the Lord sends a prophet to address Eli, and in his address, he calls out the sin of Hophni and Phinehas. These are the two sons of Eli, yet he even calls out Eli. Eli, you knew what was going on. You knew what your sons were doing, and you knew that it was absolutely wrong. You should have done something to stop it. But, but I did tell them that it was wrong, but you should have done something to stop it. Again, what a great responsibility that comes with parenting. I spoke with some parents a few years back who were dealing with a child who had gone wayward and making some very poor choices. The mother and father, and the mother and father both were incredibly go wrong. I cannot tell you all of the things that they did right, nor can I tell you all of the things that they did wrong. But I will tell you that as a father, the greatest heartbreak takes place when you see your children walking in a way that does not honor the Lord. And that is my greatest fear as a dad, as a pastor even, to know that my children may not walk in a way that honors God. What a great responsibility we have to point our kids to Jesus. Listen to what the Lord declares as recorded in verses 34 and 35. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house. And they, speaking of his family, will minister before my anointed ones, my anointed one always. Can you imagine the heartbreak in Eli as this verdict is brought to him? On the one hand, the death of his two sons has just been predicted and a parent is never supposed to outlive their children. But even Eli is addressed in this verdict. The only way for a priestly house to be established was for the old to die out. A new priestly house would form in its absence. That means that Eli is about to die too. That's because he knew that what was taking place was not okay. He swept it under the carpet. And now God is about to hold him accountable. But before we focus too much on the accountability of a father, I want to go back to the responsibility for one more moment. Chapter 4 tells of the prophecy being fulfilled. But a part of this fulfillment involves another prophecy which will come in chapter 3. One night as Samuel lay in his bed, he hears the voice of the Lord calling out to him. He's never heard the voice of the Lord before. In fact, it would seem as if Many within the priestly family have not heard the voice of the Lord until this point. 
Well, Samuel assumes that it must be Eli who has called out to him, and therefore he runs to see what Eli wants. Eli doesn't have a clue, so he sends him back to bed, and you kind of picture this interaction that would have taken place. This happens three times before Eli realizes that this is probably not Samuel's imagination, but rather this is likely the Lord who is speaking to Samuel. So he instructs him to once again go back to bed. Lay down, but this time when you hear the voice of the Lord speak, you are to respond with speak, for your servant is listening. I want to use this to highlight something very important regarding the responsibility of a father or father figure. Eli has already demonstrated that he is far from perfect. He has not lived out what it is to be a good example in front of Samuel. He has demonstrated that, unfortunately, he has done a very poor job. He's not leading by example in many ways. And maybe this is because he already knows what is coming and he's had some time to process the judgment. Remember, he's already had a prophet come to him and tell him that God is going to hold your two sons accountable. He's going to hold you accountable as well. There's likely a sense of brokenness and defeat within him. Thinking to himself, I have wasted the opportunity that I had. But as long as there was breath in him, he still had the opportunity to do what was right. So he fulfills his most important role on that night. He tells Samuel how to communicate with the Lord. I want you to know that the greatest responsibility that any of you will ever have is to point people, specifically your children, but even go beyond it, to point people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, ideally, you'll also model it before them. I don't want you to get the idea that I can live a selfish, sinful life and just point my kids to Jesus at the end. That is not okay. Far too many people have done that with the idea that I want them to have what I didn't have, but I chose not to have. But at least Eli did get this one thing very important thing, right? Well, as I stated previously in chapter four, the prophecies are fulfilled. Verse 11 declares that Hophni and Phinehas both die while taking the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And listen to the report that Eli received. So what a horrible day this must have been for him. It's what it says, beginning in verse 17. The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man, and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. This is definitely a worst case scenario for Eli. It's interesting that there's a little shock, at least at the beginning of the report. He's heard the crowd and the weeping and the wailing of other individuals. And this individual begins by giving a report and he mentions three things that are tragic. 
on the one hand, the army has suffered great loss. By the way, that is a little bit unique for the Israelites. They would go into battle and they would beat people senseless. Remember the Israelites when they went into battle against the people of Ai. Do you remember that? They, they got their tails kicked. 36 Israelites died. Wow. Man, we wish only 36 soldiers died when we went into battle. But on this day, this was a tragedy. The army has suffered heavy losses. Second part of it, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. Oh my goodness. How heartbreaking is that to hear? But it is this final loss that overwhelms him. It says that the ark of God has been captured. Eli fell and he died. Consider the fact that we've already defined him as a failure when it comes to being a father. Now under his leadership as the high priest, they have lost the ark of God. Well, this ushers in a new day for the people of Israel. Samuel doesn't immediately become the high priest, but rather he has already become, become the most respected religious leader in the land. He becomes a great prophet who had already been well-respected among all the people. Everything that he said seemed to come to pass, and the people knew that the Spirit of God was resting upon him. And I want to take a moment and point out something else that is very important today. Although Samuel was raised in a dysfunctional family, and he didn't have the best role models, God could still do great things through him. I've heard several of you share similar stories as you reference your own family dynamics. Dad was not a godly individual. It was unusual for us to ever go to church. We were not taught what it was to be a man or a woman of God. And somewhere along the way, God intervened and he changed your life. Even though you didn't grow up in a godly home, God brought you out of it, and he did something great in and through you. Listen to me. The ideal situation is to have someone who will regularly point you to Jesus. However, you can overcome ungodly parenting. You do not have to walk the same path as those who have gone before you. I know I quoted a scripture earlier from Proverbs where we are told that we ought to train up our children in the way that they should go. There is no doubt that is the best path for our children. But do not allow the fact that your parents did not do that to become your excuse to be less than what God intended you to be. The truth is, God has a plan for your life. It involves your surrender to him. And it involves you becoming his testimony to the world around you. Be the individual who starts a new heritage for your family. You be the one that determines that we will not walk the same path that others have walked. But rather, my children, my grandchildren will know what it is to be a child of God. Well, back to our story 
I want us to skip ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and truly this is the key to my sermon this morning. Samuel has been faithfully serving the Lord by this point. Remember, it was in chapter 4 where basically he kind of takes over. Eli is no longer there. Hophni and Phinehas are no longer there as well. With Samuel leading the people of God, they have seen the faithfulness of God. With his blessing, the Israelites firmly believe that God's hand of blessing will also be upon them. Saul is the king of Israel at this point, and they are preparing for battle. But as with what happens to so many of us, Saul grew impatient waiting on Samuel and waiting on the Lord. Samuel was to come and to bless them for battle. And as he became impatient, he takes it upon himself to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, something that only a priest was ordained to do. And Samuel, when he shows up, lets him have it. Listen to what Samuel says, beginning in verse 13. So we're in chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Remember the issue here was God had a plan and a purpose. This is the way things are to be done. And Saul has decided he would take things into his own hand. A part of what intrigues me about this judgment is the similarity to what has already happened in Samuel's life in those first four chapters. He witnessed a father figure who had done a foolish thing, not keeping the command of the Lord. And the result was that Eli's family line is greatly diminished, losing out on a complete generation. In fact, we've already talked about Hophni and Phinehas. His two sons die at the news of Hophni and Phinehas' death and then the ark of the Lord being lost and then Eli's death. One of his sons had a wife. She immediately went into labor. She died in childbirth. Another son was born. His name was Ichabod, which translated means the glory has left. Everything that had been placed in the hands of Eli and his family, an entire generation would lose out on the blessing that God had promised. What a tragedy for sure. As a result, the Lord sought out a man who would be pure and would represent the Lord well, and his name would be Samuel. Now we see here in chapter 13 that Saul has done the exact same thing. Sure, it looks a little bit different. Here he is offering a sacrifice that he should not be offering, but Eli and his sons were doing things that still went against what God called them to do. And then they get the same result. You'll see it in the coming weeks, but this opens the door for the leadership of David. I mentioned that Samuel would fill the shoes of Eli and his sons. And in this story, it would be David who would fill the shoes of Saul 
What I want you to see today is that God always holds his people accountable. First, it was Eli as a priest and a father. And now we see the same in Saul as a king. You know, to the nation, they would have seen Saul as their father. Worthy of such great respect. This is the man who God has blessed and he has put in this position. This is the one who, whatever he tells us, we will do. They would have seen him in many ways as a father. Yet the blessing of the Lord no longer rested upon him. The point is that God has high expectations for his people. The name of this series is The Chase. On the one hand, this is going to be about God's chasing after a holy people. And I loved the songs that we sang this morning, talking about the holiness of God and how I long to be holy. God longs for you to be holy too. He is chasing after a holy people. He longs for a people who will honor him and represent him well, not just by what they say on Sunday morning, but in every interaction between Sunday and Saturday night. Every interaction, every word that is spoken, every email that is sent, every attitude that's displayed in the workplace, in the home, wherever you may go, God is looking for a holy people. He longs for it. And I would suggest to you today that just as God sought a holy people in the temple of the Lord, and just as God sought a holy individual as the king of Israel, God is seeking a holy people today within you. But on the other side of this, we see multiple people who also seem to be chasing after something. Hophni and Phinehas were chasing after their own personal pleasures. I kind of skimmed over it. They were having sexual relations with women who they had devoted themselves to service in the temple. They're basically forcing themselves upon them. You can call it whatever you want. We call it sexual assault today. Yet these are the ones who are offering sacrifices for the Lord. Something was wrong. They did it because they sought their own personal pleasure. They were selfish. Eli's chase was different. He was interested in being a friend to his sons rather than a father to his sons. It was good that he called him out and he said, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You got to stop. But he should have taken it a step further. He was the dad. And he should have done whatever it took to make sure that this did not continue. He had a great responsibility on himself. By the way, the problem likely did not begin at the moment that they began to steal food from other people. Actually, I've always kind of imagined the priests. When I picture the priests, they typically have a long beard. And maybe it's just my imagination, but this is the way I see them. I picture them in a long beard with a robe that goes all the way down to their feet and sandals. And typically they're tall and thin. I don't know. There might have been some short ones out there too. But they tend to be, at least in the way I've imagined them, tall and thin. Do you remember the description of Eli when he fell and broke his neck? Just a three-word statement. He was heavy. How do you get that way? You guys know because we all do it at times. We eat too much. And it was as if 
maybe living for his own pleasures was something that Hophni and Phinehas might have learned in their home. I know that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Especially when we're all a little bit overweight. They lived for themselves. They lived for their own pleasures. Saul sought to do more than what God called him to do. He thought he no longer needed the man of God. He could do it himself. It would seem that there's only one individual in our story today that seems to genuinely be chasing after God with all his heart, and that is Samuel himself. I wonder which man you can best relate to in the passage today. I know that as a dad, there have been times that I probably could relate better to Eli. It's not right. It's not what it should be. I want my kids to like me. I want them to do what's right. But I want to know that at the end of the day, that we can still communicate. And maybe that's a part of what Eli was trying to do. But I also know that even if my kids don't like me, my greatest responsibility is to point them to Jesus. And if you get mad because of the fact that I had to address an area of sin in your life, then be angry. I'm still going to do it because that's what God called me to. Samuel was a man who had determined no matter what, he would serve the Lord. We need to be willing to do the same. I celebrate your dads. Many of you are here today because you've had some amazing fathers. I thank you because many of you are having a role even in the development of my children. They see you and they're learning what it is to be a man of God. Thank you for that. But I challenge you, recognize that there is no greater role in your life than to live in a way that says, I love God more than I love anything else. Maybe that sounds too simple coming from the pulpit. Maybe you're looking for some deep truth. The deepest truth I can give you is that you are called to be set apart holy, just like Samuel was, just like Eli was, even like Saul was. What are you going to do with it? Eli? He kind of tossed it to the side. Samuel? Well, he didn't. Saul? He tossed it to the side. Which one are you? What will you do with what God gave you? If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we are so grateful for a God who loves us more than anything else. We recognize that all of us have fallen short. We have allowed sin to remain in us at times, and sometimes it peeks its head out, and we think we've overcome it, only to discover that, man, it's still lingering. Lord, we seek your forgiveness, but we also seek your strength we do not want to be people who half-heartedly follow you. We want to be people who are fully devoted to you. We want our children to know what it is to be a child of God simply by watching us. We want to be like the Apostle Paul who declared, be imitators of me just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those men and women that you created us to be. I pray for our children. I do pray that regardless of what they have seen and experienced, that from this moment forward, they would walk as a generation that is truly set apart for you, fully devoted to you. But I pray that you would 
raise up a generation much like Samuel. One that will not turn their back even when the opportunity is there. Father, make us the holy people you created us to be. And we'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. It is such a blessing to be able to celebrate Father's Day with you. As a part of that, as a church, we want to take the opportunity to honor some men in the church. Now, used to be that what the church would do is we would, um, we would try to give everybody something, some token 15-cent thing that you would take home and neatly put it in your trash can. A couple years ago, we decided that instead of doing that, we would actually take the names of each of the men in the church and we would do a drawing and give them something that they might actually be excited about. Uh, so we're actually going to do two drawings today in this service. First of all, when you came in, all the men should have been given the opportunity to write your names on a piece of paper. Is there anyone in here that did not do that? Got one here in the front and one over here to my right as well. I see a few over here. Mr. Thomas, did you get one? Mr. Thomas did not either. Thank you, Abby. All right. Jimmy Arsenal also is requesting one. Someone else wrote it in for you, so you're good. Fan free? Yeah. <laughs> Some of y'all just want to put extras in. I get it. It's okay. Michael, you're going to be the one to hand out the bags whenever we draw names. All right, so everybody should have put their names in that basket already. Mom, if you could bring that basket up here, that would be wonderful. You got one more in the back somewhere. I don't see it. Oh, William. Michael, go get that from William. By the way, the gifts this year... Um, I think uh, you get a pedicure, and uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh that, that's for the women at Mother's Day. That's correct. Actually, uh, I know one of them is tickets to a Greenville Drive baseball game, and the other is for Texas Roadhouse because uh, everybody likes a good steak. So, All right, so we're going to start with what are the colors of those bags, blue and red? Right, we're going to start with the red bag, and I'm not sure what's in the red bag. So the Greenville Drive, we're going to have a brand new father do this, Fan Foo Fan, won the tickets to the Greenville Drive. Please do. Amen. 
Very excited about the new baby that is coming as well. So thank you. All right, so then we have one more. So if that was the baseball tickets, the next one must be for the uh, Texas Roadhouse. And I see apparently she did put your name in there because I have Lawrence McMillan. All right. For all of you, thank you so much for all that you do as fathers and just male role models. Females too, that's important. But I think there was a time, actually we were talking about this, I know my time's over, it's okay. There was, there was a time that with, without the women stepping up in church, I would even venture to say that there's some truth to this even now. The Wesleyan church would have died. I am very grateful that there are both men and women who are serving in the ministry and around us on a regular basis that our kids can look up to. It is so vital to the church of tomorrow to know that the church of today has both men and women who are serving the Lord with all their hearts. So I, am, I just say thank you. I am so grateful for who you are as a church. It is a blessing to have each of you with us. I'm well past the time, so thank you and go in peace. <laughs>